Welcome to Beyond Dollars and Cents. This is the Risk and Reward Podcast. My name is Holland Henderson, financial advisor with Allen and Company. And today I have a very uh, special and smart guest. Uh, his name is Marlon House. Marlon, how's it going, brother? It's going fine. It's going great. Yeah. yeah. So uh, tell tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? My name is Marlon House. I'm CEO and founder of Voltel LLC. Uh, we provide uh, technology services within cloud, software-defined network security, and uh, a whole suite of infrastructure that could benefit small and medium-sized businesses. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, you know, not just cloud security as in what's up in the sky, although that would be pretty cool, making sure that there's pretty clouds up there. What does that, what does that really mean? What are you looking for? What are you trying to help or prevent within these small and medium-sized companies? Well, within these organizations, we're trying to prevent them to, to be able to sustain their continual operation of day-to-day business. Uh, we do see trend in uh, cybersecurity attacks across different sectors and vectors uh, targeting medium-sized and large businesses. Okay, so this is really not just a large business issue. Correct. I mean, so whenever you see cyber attacks, what, what kind of attacks are you actually witnessing right now along small and medium-sized businesses? Multiple denial-of-service attack, uh, malware attack, ransomware attack. Uh, those type of attacks are, are pretty common, including phishing attacks. Uh, those tend to attack organization by using uh, the user social media platforms to be able to get within their email system, to be able to manipulate their data. And uh, that type of attack is very, very common. So you said service denial attack. Is that kind of like ransomware? Uh, not necessarily ransomware. Uh, denial of service attack is provide uh, preventing an organization or a service from being available. Okay. And that could be done by using a lot of different types of technology to attack a particular platform. And uh, that attack will allow the platform to be not available to the users who would need to access it. What's the end game with that type of attack? Uh, those type of attacks are normally could be related to uh, public affairs, uh, people having their own opinion across certain different uh, areas of the, uh, the government or economy, and, and they may try to target a particular organization if they're not in agreement with how the organization is actually moving forward. So it's almost a social attack. Oh, correct, correct. That's wild. It is. It so, is. And, and we do see that within the government as well and within private organizations. So they just don't allow an individual or an uh, organization to get their voice out. So it correct. could be in defense of something or it could be we're going to talk about something. Correct, correct. Some of the similar things you'll see like on social media where if, if there's an attack against a uh, major organization like, like Google or Facebook – They'll be attacking them if they believe that the direction or the information that's being provided is not up to what they want to see. They'll see those type of attacks online. So what about, so go through just the list that you, you were talking about, phishing, you know, malware, ransomware. I mean, kind of hit the high points for me on each one of those. And you don't have to go through the whole list. but the So the, the malware attacks would be attacks that you would normally get uh, via email or rather a software program that's being installed on your computer those are unwanted uh, application that sometimes attached to an original software being installed. Once those attacks get within the uh, your platform surface, they tend to morph and replicate across your computer system and your network. 
and they are eventually controlled by the attacker. And within that uh, malware, you would also have a, a, uh, uh, a, a phishing attack that would also try to have users provide user credentials, login information, collecting credit card data, and stuff like that. So I know that, I mean, on our on our email system, we have a report phishing attack. If it, right. it looks like a suspicious email, Correct. it removes it from our inbox and sends it off to someone that's way smarter than I am that can go poke around in it and make sure it is what it is. Is that <clears throat> is that one of the major entry points? That is. That is one of the main entry points within the organization because users are sometimes not aware. So what are they mainly looking for in a phishing scam? Uh, in a phishing scam, they're, they're trying to get personal data, sometimes login credentials and credit card. Uh, if it's a user that's been targeted within an organization, they're really trying to get the user to provide login credentials so they could get access to a particular system, use that particular system to gain access to other systems within the environment. So one of the things I've always wondered is, in those phishing scams, are they just collecting as much data as they possibly can to store up and then resale? Or is it something that once they get it, they immediately use it? Does that make sense what I'm saying? I mean, if you're creating a business out of this right. and if you're trying, I mean, I would guess that most of it's trying to collect some sort of correct they, revenue. They're correct. They're collecting the data. They could resell the data. So if it's credit card information, they'll take that data and they'll resell it on the market. Uh, sometimes they use the information to, to collect your data and then they'll encrypt your data. And okay. that's where the ransomware comes in, where they'll encrypt your data. You have no access to your data. And they literally uh, hold it ransom. Hold until it you ransom pay them. and they normally ask for payment in Bitcoin. Or, so or, how often do they actually release it if you paid them? Uh, typically, uh, you'll work with them normally when, when those type of attack happens. You will get your internal organization involved. You'll have your cybersecurity insurance You'll have the CEO and those people would normally get involved. If it's a if it's a ransomware attack and the attacker is outside of the United States, then you will need to follow the United States law because you're not able to pay out an attacker if the attacker is not within the United States. So, what's the organization that the company goes to? What I mean, it's not the local PD, is it? It's uh, normally you will get involved with your uh, public. You'll get your lawyers involved. In your organization, you'll get the CEO involved, and you'll also get your cybersecurity insurance company involved. They normally will tell you what the directives are. So cybersecurity insurance is, is very good for people to have, especially medium and large businesses, because they can use that information in order to tell, hey, this is what I need to do to be compliant. And if an attack happens, you guys are going to be there to assist me during a breach or an attack. So how, how often are you seeing people that have this cybersecurity insurance, and some sort of a plan of action. I mean, what's the, what does it look like for, for most companies these days? For mo most companies we are coming across working with, they tend to be asking about cybersecurity insurance. You're signing up for cybersecurity insurance. That comes with meeting the requirements and compliance of what their environment should be, what it should look like, what the security posture of the organization should look, look like to make sure they're in compliant if there's an attack. But I mean, is there is there a growing awareness of the need for your those services or people, is it still very new? There's a growing awareness because of what's happening on social media. Okay. Uh, there are some areas where users and businesses are not aware of it. Uh, specifically small business and medium-sized business, large organization are aware of it. They're taking 
uh, defensive stands against their security infrastructure, making sure they have the necessary personnel and tools to protect them. Okay. So is is email really the biggest gateway for uh, an, a company's issues? I mean, is that is that their biggest yes. doormat into Correct. cybersecurity? That is. That is. Uh, it's easier. Um, you could have a user not knowing what a legitimate email may be like, mm-hmm. and that email may look like a legitimate email, and by clicking on that email is that sense of access to the infrastructure. Being able to try to penetrate an organization from the outside without having someone from the inside initiating that connectivity, or it's, like it's pretty hard. Gate. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty hard. You could spend an excessive amount of time from the outside trying to get in. So the easiest way to get in is always try to have someone on the inside provide access. Wow. All right, let's take a break real quick, and we'll be right back. All right, we're back with Marlon House. So you're telling us some pretty frightening information, which is good because, you know, we can at least look at it and address it. But so really the biggest liability that we have is our email, and the people that are captain in that ship are traditionally employees. That is correct. So you have to, you know, the, the best way into a company is for someone to let you in, which Correct. makes perfect sense. That, that's why we have to educate our users within the organization and provide the necessary training for them to be aware of those type of attacks. So what's the best way of training our employees? Because it's not necessarily, hey, just watch this hour-long video. What, I mean, what's the—I would, I would assume the best way of training is culture is to just have this continual conversation. Correct. So most organization employed uh, uses HR as a means of getting that training out there. They have mandatory training that employees would have to do once a year, and they'll go through a questionnaire and assessment just to make sure they're up to date with the different types of attack vectors and what they need to look at. And that's being pushed by the security department because the security department is aware of the level of security and what the needs should be within the organization. So let me ask you this. I mean, most companies are issuing company cell phones. Correct. That is correct. Right. So everything's going even more mobile. So you have an entry of a device because you think about it whenever you're typing out an email and you're standing in, you know, line to get your Chipotle or something. Right. You know, I would imagine that there's a fair number of us that don't necessarily look at the email. You know, I, I, we try to be cognizant, but I mean, there's got to be some people that are just, you know, they hammer it out and send it real quick from their mobile device. Correct. And, and, and we have technology that could facilitate making sure those devices have encryption software in them to protect the data okay. or the device if the device gets stolen, whether it's a laptop device or a mobile device. And we do have control over those devices where we could actually remote wipe them. And you could actually reset password, and you could control the apps that the users or the employee would be using on those mobile devices. Is it easier to is it easier to protect a mobile device than it would be maybe a computer, or is it just the same? It's it's just the same right okay. now with the smart smartphone. They do have the ability with the apps to be able to protect them just like you would in a laptop device. Okay. So, um, what about? You know, if we're combining social media with our employees, is that an entry point as well, or is that just a standalone system that's outside of any areas, any type of, you know, is there any danger with 
places that we go on a consistent basis where, you know, you, you take a, a work cell phone um, or we do work from our cell phone and it shares multiple different apps that we use for personal personal devices. Like, I mean, you have banking, right. you have social media, you have all those things. Is any of those entry points a concern for the company. Yes, there is. It's, you know, separation of uh, platform device and usage is important. Having a work cell phone or work laptop should only be designated for those specific use cases where you are doing work-related work just because there is uh, a security risk, okay? If you are using it for personal information and the company is not aware of it, that could be an entry point within the environment because you may be using... Um, particular app, a personal app, it could be a music app or something of that nature that may carry a malware on it that will try to compromise the device. So the only cure for that would be to keep your work phone separate from your private private personal phone? It, it's it's preferred. It's recommended. But how, how many what, people are doing that? Not a lot of people are doing that. They're, they're really sharing that particular platform to you for personal and work. And it becomes a problem. Most organizations are now using endpoint security within their platform. So on your mobile device and on your laptop, they could control what applications can be on there, how you use it, and they actually filter and can know what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. That is wild. So is that, I mean, is that just something they install on the phone? I mean, how much How much do does the company actually have to tell the individual that they have as far as controls on their phone? I mean, you're signing <clears throat> something. Uh, actually, yes, you are signing that paperwork to say from HR, you're responsible what the, the terms of use, the company use policy device and internet use policy from those mobile devices. That's incredible, man. So uh, employees being, um, you know, the, the biggest point of entry, what would be the next? Is there a next? Or is that just, that is the front door? I think that is the front door. It's been like that for a while and uh, just user awareness is not there. As it should be. Yeah. So how, I mean, so I've just installed a new um, internet router at my house within the last couple of years where I can, you know, see kind of where, who's coming in, you know, who might be using our device. It's Euro, the the one that Amazon purchased. Correct. Right. I mean, is that a new type of security where you can, you can look at things that who's coming in, who's going out via your router versus just having things just show up. Correct, correct. Th those technologies are available now within that platform and others. You could see how, what services are being used, where they're connected to, what part of the world they're connected to, and what infrastructure. That's, that's very critical. And users having a home router within their environment or firewall is, is very important. Most users do, so there is that sense of protection. Uh, with the very basic device you could find at Best Buy or within any of these stores on Amazon for 50 bucks or under, they will protect you. Uh, what it doesn't protect you from is what you do when you get on the Internet. So in terms of a particular site, a malware, uh, those particular type of use cases you're not protected against. It's really protecting people from coming from the outside into your home. So what are the protections that individuals and or businesses, mainly businesses, because that's what you're working with, what are the protections, what the, what's the 360 degree view, in your opinion, this, you know, just from a high level, this would be, well, this is what a good plan would look like. Endpoint security uh, software would be my main recommended 
uh, solution for a home user or a business. Endpoint protection is a software you put within on your device. You could purchase a home license. You renew it every year. They're averaging about $29. The home users, I do recommend every home user. If there is one thing you pay for on a subscription basis to protect yourself is a endpoint protection device. And you have Symantec uh, endpoint protection. You do have other areas of software that's just there and available for home users. So what is what is endpoint technology? I mean, just give me an End, example of that. Endpoint technology is an antivirus technology that prevents you from antivirus, malware, uh, internet security attacks, and stuff like that where the user may not be aware of it. So instead of installing it on your computer, you just install it on your, your actual router? Uh, no, you're actually installing it on your computer. Okay. And your mobile phone. Okay. So what are some of the... Who are some of the providers of that? Some of the providers we do have, uh, we have Symantec, we have Avis, we have ESET, we have Kaspersky. And to mention Kaspersky, that, that's one of the, the, the ones I've been working with recently. That's a, a Russian antivirus software. Oh, wow. And uh, if you look in the news over the last couple of weeks, it's been removed from all the shelves within Best Buy, uh, Office Depot, and from all government agencies. Uh, we, we had clients that, that had those particular software, and just because of what's happening within that area of the uh, country and within the globe, we actually are removing it from all our client systems. Holy smokes. That's a big deal, man. It is. It is. And How, uh, much, of, how much of your world has been affected by uh, this? Tremendously. Over the last two weeks, I've been replacing those endpoint protection from my customers and replacing them with uh, malware bytes and oh. other uh, products that are made and manufactured within the U.S. that have that level of protection. But right now, we're moving them from all our customers who do have Kaspersky, and uh, it's, it's become a growing concern and need. Are we seeing an increase in, um, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, but malicious activity, malicious Internet activity, hackers? you know, from Russia? Have we been seeing an increase in that, or is it just kind of the same? Uh, we have been seeing an increase on it. Within the, uh, within the spectrum, they are probing more of a lot of government agencies, more than, than private organization. We do see increase where they try to manipulate information on social media or information in terms of how users see and interpret that data. Wow. And information is just important because... Uh, manipulating that change your perspective on what you believe reality is. That's that's incredible. I mean, it's you know you can see how the internet has kind of drawn everybody together, but at the same time, it mixes. You know, when something happens like what's going on in Ukraine, right? You know, you really start to see how how much that mixes things up. It does. It does. It creates a huge concern uh, for democracy. And uh, just for the United States and other organization globally, we have to take a more serious approach towards security from home and uh, across the globe. So have you seen with more people working from home, working remotely, are there more or just the same amount of concerns? There, is, there are more concern. Uh, a lot of organizations weren't prepared for 2020, the pandemic. And having a lot of users working remote, which uses the internet platform, that vector is now globally available to all the hackers and potential threat. 
So when you are confined to the boundaries of your organization within a building, you're not doing that anymore. You're working remote. That connectivity happens over the Internet. So how does it change? You know, what, what are the physical parameters that change? Is it, is it the router? Is it the place that we're actually conducting our work? I mean, via public places? I mean, what, what is it? What's typically the entry point that you're seeing just from the remote access? From the remote access, it's more trying to get users to be able to utilize the platform in the right way when they're remote, right? Manipulating how they're using that data because they they connect via home, they're connected to their internet. And more, more often than not, they will use services and sites that they would normally not use when they're in the workplace. So, so it's all the same thing. You're just moving the person outside. Correct. Okay. Correct. And because they're working more often from away, not just using their mobile device, but they're actually using laptops or whatever, there's an increase because the standard of security is not the same. Correct. Correct. And companies have to invest in their security infrastructure in order to protect those remote users. And there are levels of protection that's there. Not all companies do have that protection currently in place. So when they do have users working remote, because of that factor where the user go and being able to manipulate and control each device becomes harder and not having the right technology in place, an organization is not able to control all aspect of communication when you're remote. So was the hurried action of getting as many people remote as possible to keep business flowing, I mean, were, were there some steps that were missed? Yeah, of course. Um, a lot of steps like uh, risk assessment, the level of risk an organization would be imposed if they allow user to work remote and we're looking at availability right users just want to have systems available not necessarily that the systems are secure so the first rollout for most organization is to say we want to make sure users can work remote and they provide that sense of vpn access to be able to work remotely secondly they would try to come in with some type of security posture to make sure that communication is secure um, in my recommendation is to try to be prepared for those scenarios ahead of time to make sure you're secure before you're working remotely on the public internet. All right, well, let's take our next break and we'll be back with some more heavy topics. Marlon, I really appreciate you being here, man. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, so how, how did you get into this? I mean, just as a personal note, I kind of, I'm kind of interested now. How do you end up talking uh, to people about this stuff? Well... Uh, I was in college for for a while. Going to I went to UCF and University of Massachusetts, and I did a bachelor's at UCF and a master's at University of Massachusetts. But how I got in was my brother. When I was younger, my brother was into technology, and I was really in business, saying I was going to be an accountant. And uh, as he get involved into computers and and he gets in, in into technology, I thought it was very fascinating. So when I entered college, I said, well, I want to do something similar to what my brother's doing. And that's when I decided I was going to take the path of learning about technology. So tell me, uh, when did y'all start your business? When did you start your business? Well, we started five years ago. Okay. And uh, we have been trying to get that awareness out to small and medium-sized businesses of what security is, what availability is. It's been more receptive uh, within the last few years since the pandemic and now because people are needing more 
of the infrastructure, cloud infrastructure, on-prem infrastructure to get their business rolling out and what are some of the things they could do to stay active and to keep their business alive. How do you match services with companies? So if you see a company, I mean, do you just are you looking for the same things over and over again or are there different expectations with different type of industries? Yeah, there are different type of expectations within industries and what we are looking for is and sometimes client reaches out to us is provide an assessment. Tell us where we are. We're not really too sure we are operating, but could we do this better? Is there a way we could reduce costs and improve on security? And we go in and we provide a network and a risk assessment, and we provide that to them with some limitation, and they can have that free of cost. How long does it take to do a risk assessment? Based on the environment, it could take weeks to do a risk assessment, and it could take a couple of days. I mean, is that is part of that actively pushing the, the limits of the system, trying to see if there are, you know, entry points? Yes, that is. That is a factor within the scope of work for risk assessment is to be able to define those scope of work and when they're able to be executed based on the level of risk and impact to the organization. Certain areas of work would deem can only be done at a certain period of time because that level of assessment comes with uh, penetration testing Mm -hmm. and vulnerability assessment. And when you do those, you're really scanning in most cases the entire network for vulnerabilities or where the weaknesses are. And that provides a level of resources that's needed to complete those action items. How do, you, how do you think we as a society are doing in cybersecurity? I mean, as Americans, we like to be number one, right? We're really disappointed when we're not number one in all the good things. I mean, how are we doing as a society in, you know, prevention of cyber attacks? I, I think we're doing pretty good. Could we do better? Yeah, I think from uh, the U.S. administration and from within the government, they're taking a serious approach towards cybersecurity, and they do have a couple teams and department agencies that are responsible for trying to make sure people are following those particular standards. Some of the standards that got released a few weeks ago because of the uh, invasion on uh, Ukraine was to be able to give small and medium-sized businesses tools and recommendations in terms of what they should do to try to protect their infrastructure. And I think within the U.S. we're doing pretty well. I think small and medium-sized businesses are becoming more receptive and is taking a front seat in terms of getting that sense of posture security they need for the organization. We typically was in more of a reactive instead of a proactive approach, but we're being very proactive right now. And do you think that change happened whenever the lockdown happened, or do you think it was before that? Do you think that we were becoming more proactive prior to or after the pandemic? I think we became more proactive after the pandemic. Really? Yeah. So whenever you say small business, are you talking about mom and pop shops, people that are startups, or are you talking, yeah, you probably need to be a little bit bigger? I mean, should everybody, I mean, everybody needs to have a level of concern. Correct. But at the same time, like when as a company should I be concerned? I think once you start making business and you, you, you have a process, you have a reason for a day-to-day process of making money, I think you should have that sense of security awareness uh, within your environment. Normally, when we talk about small business, we're seeing one to a hundred users. And when we're talking about medium-sized business, it's 
It's tend to be anything from like a, a hundred to a thousand large organization over a thousand. So th that small mom and pops could fall within maybe 10 users. Sometimes we will see like 50 users or, or 80 users. That becomes a concern because most of those users are not aware of security. They normally sometimes don't have an IT personnel when we talk about small businesses. And if they do, it tends to be one person that manages the entire infrastructure that may not have the skill set needed do to you protect just, them. Do you provide the service or do you ever act as the IT department for some of these smaller companies? For some of the small uh, companies, we do have uh, where we provide managed IT services for them. So we manage their entire IT infrastructure. Okay. So, I mean, if, if I'm a smaller business, I mean, small businesses are naturally concerned with cost. I mean, right. What should my budget be? Because I, I can't necessarily afford to have a ransomware attack, but also, right. you know, it, it can't make up a ton of money either. Right. You know, so what does that small business do if they're in that position? Well, you know, they could consult with someone like Voltel. We'll consult with them and say, hey, this is what you're looking for. What are some of the things you need? In that sense, what we really do is try to assess what's their main concern. If it's, if it's a security attack or they just want to operate and have some level of security, they can get that with cloud infrastructure at minimal cost. And some of the elementary things that small businesses need doesn't really cost a lot of money up front. They just need to know, where do I get these services? And more than likely, they'll be within the cloud infrastructure. Okay. So what is the benefit that you're seeing to where... Um, within cloud infrastructure versus something that is based within their particular system? The cost. Cost is very expensive. When you're looking at infrastructure, you're looking at compute, you're looking at storage, and you're looking at all those infrastructure is a huge, huge, huge budget price items, right? When you look at cloud, it's subscription-based, but there's a smaller cost to it, and there's more of an adaptation. So if you're small, you don't have an IT personnel, and you want to get some level of support, Cloud infrastructure is always going to be there, and that would be my recommendation. So, but once you advance to a larger business, it needs to be more of a homegrown infrastructure or less cloud-based, or would it be the st still be applicable? It, it would still be applicable. You could actually have a hybrid approach. So you have within the cloud infrastructure, there's typically three categories. You have software as a service, infrastructure as a service, and platform as a service. So users tend to start with small businesses software as a service, and then they may end up doing platform as a service and infrastructure as a service. But you could merge those together. You could start out small, and within that cloud infrastructure, you could grow. So what type of technology right now within cybersecurity are you most excited about? Some things that are coming in that are brand new that we've not seen before. Uh, uh, threat analysis. I, I in, Intrusion, prevention, and, and detection systems have been out there, but they have been changed. They have been morphed into something more adaptive to cloud where zero-day attacks with users and, co and, and companies, on that level, we're able to see endpoint protection. We're able to see infrastructure as a service being able to, with uh, artificial intelligence and, 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 and uh, automation, we're able to see that increase in security. So with the cloud infrastructure, data learning take place at a very fast pace. So the information that's seen on a, in a device or anywhere within your environment is automatically being learned. There's a pattern, and that pattern is looked at, predicted, and is able to tell you, hey, this is a threat, and it needs to be looked at or stopped. So because of pre predictive analysis. Correct. 
it's seeing the outliers. That is correct. That is really cool. So what what is the, what is the your view as far as data mining from companies like Google, Facebook, places like that? H- how is that kind of merging into still threats within cyber attacks? Is there a, not a correlation, but is there a concern with how much data is being collected versus someone who has ill will? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yes, yes. It's a major concern. Social media has been a major concern. And, uh, you know, it's a platform that we all use on a day-to-day basis. Uh, my recommendation is not to provide too much information out there. Uh, there are so many data points. There is a digital identity of every single person. Uh, that include uh, your name, where you live, your family status, your profile, your race, your religion, what do you believe, what you don't believe, who your friends are, what, how many pets you have. Uh, everything, you, there's a data point, and all that data is collected via social media. So what do you have an app on your phone, and it tells you during install, hey, provide access to your microphone or your, your, your pictures, all that stuff. Be very careful and mindful if you're not really sure who makes that particular software or app. And in that digital space, social media has all that data and big data. They, they'll take that and they're able to utilize that data to tell if I advertise something to you, I know specifically that you or 99% will purchase that product or service. That's wild. And they can sell that information to other organization and say, we could guarantee you sale on this percentage of people within our platform that if you want to sell certain type of product, we know who they are, and that's big information. It's big money. So let's take a break, but I got definitely more questions on this. All right, and we're back. Marlon, so um, thank you for scaring me thoroughly. Um, uh, so what, what can we do as average consumers? What can we do to protect ourselves in this world that we live in, where we want to participate, but at the same time, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking at putting, making myself, um, you know, not, I'm not trying to put myself out there to be, be taken advantage of. Correct. Part of it is is being aware, and being aware, you could get yourself engaged or tied to certain different uh, media streams or forum where you could get information on things that you are concerned about, just like you would in anything else. And I think those are some of the things that are key factors in order to be able to be proactive, to know what should I do, what are, what are the things I should look out for, or where am I might get my information. So um, within, within our phones, is there a good site that we could go to or some information point you could say, okay, these are the things to stay away from. These are the ways to lock your phone down from privacy concerns because you always see right. different different articles about hey listen you you know this is where X phone is tracking you or you know Apple Android whatever these are the ways to turn it off is there one one place to where you could go to and say these are the threats that are that are coming at us right now here's ways to lock your your devices down so that you're not allowing entry points in for other people to to take advantage. Correct, correct. There, there's, there's platforms and software apps that are out there that you could take advantage of. Malwarebytes is one of them. They're, they're a US-based company that's in California. And there is ESET. There is quite a few companies that you could actually go with. Having that endpoint protection, as I said, antivirus program, 
on your smartphone is, is very important. They're feature-based, so you do get the features you're looking for. Uh, you could get the complete package or you could get where you pay for the different level of protection. And they include uh, encrypting your data. They include looking at the data to make sure malicious attack is not being active on your phone in memory. So they could say, hey, this is an, not, not a normal behavior. You need to take these actions. And these apps will provide you that information and protect your data before a malware attack, before a ransomware attack, or any of that sort. Is there a good place that you would recommend um, creating passwords, keeping passwords, you know, length of a password? Right. Yeah, I, I always recommend, you know, there, there are a couple different companies out there. I use LastPass. It's pretty good. And that's a very good one. I do recommend users to use that. That's an encrypted vault so that that data is encrypted. And different types of uh, applications or systems that you do need to store password for, I do recommend that platform. Are you good with um, face recognition within your phone to, to open your phone, pay for, pay for different things? Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm somewhat a candidate for that, but there, there's pros and cons. When we talk about using identity like multi-factor authentication where, you know, something you know versus something you have or something you are, and you're using that digital uh, fingerprint or using facial recognition, the disadvantage of that, I would be very careful as to where you use it if it's an organization you trust like your bank, because when you do have a password, you can reset it, right? When you do have a thumbprint or you do have facial recognition, you can't reset that. You can't reset the way your face look. Or Some of us wish we could. There's a couple of people I wish they could. <laughs> <laughs> so so that, becomes a, uh, that becomes a factor. So if you have apps and they're asking you for that, just be mindful that as you're doing that, you'll never be able to change it. If that system do get compromised, then you're at a risk because now that information is out there and they could use that for, to gain advantage into other systems that you may have access to. Okay. I know one of my password protectors notifies mm -hmm. me if the site that I have, you know, if it's mm -hmm. Netflix or Facebook or something right. like that, hey, they've been hacked within right. the last 12 months, you might want to change your stuff. Correct, correct. And that's good. It's, um, you know, it's something I'm saying you, you could use it. I think it's great. I just think you have to take an additional step to say not allow every app on your phone to really ask you for those types of information just because they, they're pertinent to you. Um, and having that type of access as to, you know, being able to notify you, that's pretty great, right? Sometimes you do have the, the multi-factor authentication, the one-time password stuff. That's great. It tells you, hey, are you accessing your email from this system with this IP address? That's important to have. Is it important for us to have VPN as a personal use? For personal use, I would say VPN is important. It's important if there are technologies there where you could have a VPN software on your phone and you could use that to, to do certain things. The average user, I don't think, really need to have VPN at all. I mean, if you're just, I mean, you know, just an average everyday person, do you think that's a service that they should pay for? I don't think so. I don't think the average person needs to have a, a VPN service. But obviously, if you're doing work for your company. If you're doing work for a company, you definitely need to have VPN. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you being here. Um, what are you listening to or what are you reading right now? Right now, I'm listening to BBC News. I, I necessarily look at the U.S. government cybersecurity 
CISA and get a lot of intel and information from CNET as well and routers. And I, I try to engage myself within those platforms just to see what are some of the trends and the things we need to be looking out for. Okay. So what are you most excited about now in, in your personal life or the world around you? Information awareness. I, I think information is power. I think information is very important. And I think with the right information, people are able to make the best decisions they can. Yeah, I agree with that. That's pretty cool, man. So, so tell everybody how they can reach out to your company if they're interested in using your services. You could go to our website at voltel.com. That's V-O-L-T-E-L.com. And there's a lot of information there on services we do provide within the small and business, uh, medium-sized businesses. So reach out to us, uh, email at info at voltel.com. You could also get our information there and uh, we'll be able to get in contact with you and provide the necessary services you need. Cool. I really appreciate you being here. Again, my name's Holland Henderson, financial advisor with Allen & Company. Feel free to go to our website at alleninvestments.com. There's a lot of great information, a lot of blogs, and uh, some great podcasts. Until next time, have a great day. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Marlin House and Voltel Cloud are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial.